Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, our 15th season showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of BDO. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. Nice to see you. Likewise. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. And I, and I do say see you even though we're on the radio because we know we do we, we do, do this uh, over over uh, Zoom. So, Indeed, from our desks and uh, technology these days. Just phenomenal. It certainly is. Hope you're feeling clean, Mike, and uh, we're going to talk cleanliness on the program today and cutting-edge cleanliness with Philippe Choignard and Stacey Lecuyer. They're co-founders of Onika. They have a farm uh, down south in, in Frelixburg, and they produce a lot of the ingredients they put into their own beauty products right here uh, in Quebec. It's really an amazing story. It certainly is, and, and I'm glad you made that a long intro because I was still laughing at the fact if you asked me if I'm clean. I mean, that that just is <laughs> – I can take that in so many directions, and I'm sure the answer is going to be no, no matter which way we go. So – uh, yes, it, it is a fascinating story, uh, and you know it, it's just this this continued um, uh, you know evolution in in our I guess in our our awakening uh, for a lot of people in in terms of the the organic side of things inside of uh, the way we're doing business at the at these at the sourcing levels. So it, it's very interesting when when we we see this and and this interestingly enough is is a local uh, company in in Freiligsberg. Uh, area and uh, it's it, it's quite a fascinating story. So there there are a couple of really fascinating entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and um, in Philippe's case, he's going to talk about how they source uh, one ingredient from his family orchard, uh, which is nearby. So it's pretty pretty cool story. Uh, tax partner Ernie Furt joins us to talk about communication with your accountant for the upcoming tax season. But first, let's get to some current events, and let's begin uh, with Bill S twenty two. This is a new law in Canada on ESG reporting, and um, this, uh, you guys wrote a brief on this on uh, at uh, BDO.ca. Um, Bill S211 is about building supl- sustainable supply chains. Uh, ESG reporting, of course, environmental social governance. So it's the ethics of the supply chain that's being tackled with, uh, with this bill. Yeah, and it's really directed at uh, fulfilling Canada's international commitment against forced labor and child labor as well. So it's, you know, it, you know, you started it and, and you said, you know, we're going to talk about Bill S-211. And I cringed just listening to the name, knowing that that's not going to stoke any kind of excitement. So I'm going to get the formality out of the way real early here, um, because most people don't even know. No, most businesses are not even aware that this came into effect in January 2024. Um, and basically what they're looking at is is pretty simple. It's you're either uh, a company that's listed on a stock exchange in Canada or you have a place of business in Canada, do business in Canada or have assets in Canada. And based on their consolidated financial statements, meet, meet at least two of the following conditions. Assets in excess of $20 million, revenue in excess of $40 million, and employees of over 250. Now, you know, I've got to tell you that threshold's not all that large. And and I think there's going to be an awful lot of people at this point. What the Canadian government is looking to do is create a reporting requirements. Um, I think there's awareness that they're trying to create. Uh, there is not a filing fee associated with it. It's more of an information return, but could carry a rather hefty penalty if if people aren't going to eventually get to it. Uh, and I believe the deadline for the first reporting is the end of May. Okay, enough of the formalities. Let's now move into the topic of supply chain and a little bit of of what the federal government and Trudeau's liberals are trying to accomplish with a bill like this. And, you know, the evolution of 
you know, we talked about the evolution a minute ago in the intro of uh, the organic thought process in, in, in everything we do. Well, this is also a very, very big topic around the world in, in terms of the supply chain. Um, you know, we have certain standards in Canada, which, you know, don't necessarily apply to many of the countries that we source products or uh, uh, services from. And the Canadian government trying to do its part on the international scale um, is is looking at trying to combat against this. I honestly, my opinion is this is going to have a few more takes along the way, and there's going to be a lot of uh, updating on all of this because a lot of the reports that have come out since this uh, was announced back in, I think it was December when it was initially announced, I continue to show that um, where uh, suppliers are basically stating that they are not using child labor or that they are using organic or sustainable it's very difficult for anybody on on this side of uh, this side of the border in Canada to actually prove those so they have to take a lot of the suppliers at granted and let at uh, at face value sorry unless they're actually going to go on site and do the work themselves so i guess my 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 comment is for all those that are using uh, sourcing that have not necessarily done the homework on them uh, to be a, to be a little cognizant that that's not always the case, and there are some horror stories about child labor in many countries uh, where they're being basically told that uh, no, we're not using child labor, and then somebody sneaks onto the land and sees kids, you know, picking picking bananas or coffee beans, and uh, it's 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 a. I will tell you though that it's going to create a whole conversation because look at family farms. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to play the other side of this coin for a second. You look at family farms where traditionally families have worked the farms, kids have grown up on farms, and I don't use that lightly because that is today's topic, right? We're talking about people that grew up on farms. What are we trying to combat? What are we trying to address? And the discussion ultimately is people are going to say, but this is a family farm, so it's okay. Are we going to get to a point where we're going to start regulating whether our kids can work on our farms? I don't know. I, I I guess that's the the far right libertarian in me uh, kind of looking, going, "Hey, have we gone too far once again?" Dan. Well, I was going to say, you know, it it does. Family farms are a totally different situation from you know the typical corporation, of course, which is uh, which has to look at their supply chain, right, and and assess the risks um, of their supply chain, and maybe one of those evaluations is in order. If you're not quite certain, if you're the president, vice president of a company, you're not quite sure where this raw material X or Y is coming from, you really never know. I mean, you you, you just don't know that, that jurisdiction could be in the middle of a war or abusing a minority. And these are things that people online, frankly, and trolls, people that might want to come to get you uh, from a PR perspective, these are things that that might, you know, might cause a problem later on. So a new year is a, is, is a really great time to renew your supply chain uh, plan and just take a, take a look, make sure you know where, where everything's coming from. Dan, it's an interesting point on the PR side, and maybe you want to elaborate a little bit because obviously the, the, these are situations and uh, that we can, you know, always determine that even if they're not true, if somebody uh, calls you out on it, that can create an awful lot of damage. How how do you address this in, in the work that you do? Well, I think that that knowing is the is the first is the first challenge, and and it's very complicated. People don't know how complicated it is to actually know where your products are coming from, especially if they have a very particular chemical component. Um, cotton is is one that often raises red flags depending on where, where it comes from. Plastics, of course. So uh, knowing the supply chain inside and out and crucially communicating that on your website um, as part of your thought leadership marketing and having a human face 
out there somewhere on the website, once in a while on social media, explaining where your product comes from, where it's derived from, and how you can do better in the future. So I think um, being as transparent, basically, if I were to use one word, it would be transparency about uh, about your supply chain, even if it's a short one. Uh, today in Nonika, they have a very short supply chain for a lot of their products. That's great. I mean, that that's an impressive thing that we should all be inspired by. So how I mean, you're obviously you're going to you're dealing with clients in this matter. I mean, how do you warn them against just putting stuff on a website to say, hey, you know, we've done our homework, whether they haven't like I mean, there, there's a big risk here of, of not, the transparency goes two ways, right? If you don't do the work properly and you try to pretend you're being transparent and ultimately this is this is a major problem. Of course. I mean, when I say transparency, it's knowing inside and out what your operations are before you're transparent. So don't just throw stuff out there when you're not 100% sure where your sourcing is. Um, like I said, I gave the example of cotton. I'm not going to mention jurisdictions, but you can imagine, you know, some places are are, are problematic for, for sourcing cotton. Do you know that? You know, have you switched to alternatives? Do you have a backup plan for that? You know, those things are, are are all issues that you might have to face one day if a reporter or a journalist knocks on your door and says, well, why are we all wearing this new these new socks that are so popular? Uh, they're made with child labor. You know, what do you have to say about that? So that's not any position that an entrepreneur wants to be in. So uh, the more rigorous uh, you can be in terms of knowing the supply chain inside and out. And yes, communicating what you know for sure on the website um, is a good idea. And last thing, Mike, you wanted to mention, you know, coming back to the office, it is a, a new year. Um, I'm not saying happy new year. It's too late for that. But um, <laughs> but uh, th there are changes in the new year to offices and more and more bosses are saying you got to come back. And there is that generational divide, which is becoming more pronounced, uh, I would say, in the last few months. Yeah, I, you know, we're going to continue to face this evolution over uh probably five to 10 years, uh, everywhere from office space, uh, office space usage, the environment, uh, the experience. Um, but there there are a couple of points that I think that really, that really stand out to me when we start talking about this and are certainly gaining momentum is the first one is the Gen Z's that are, that are uh, you know, kind of lived their way through COVID and, and, and remote work. Uh, they need a lot of coaching. Okay. I, by default, when they were in the office face-to-face, -face, as we grew up, you got indirect coaching. You didn't know what was happening, but you saw, you you monitored, you learned what was good, what was bad, you learned how to behave. Unfortunately, sitting at home behind a screen uh, is not providing that learning curve. So I think from a, if you're a coach or a mentor or a boss, I think you need to recognize this. I think you need to recognize that you need to spend possibly more time on that generation than, than anybody else. And the other point that really stands out is this four-day work week. And yeah, I know I'm old-fashioned and yeah, I'm not going to say that four-day, I would like a, you know, I'd like to only have a five-day work week and not six, but that's a whole different conversation in, in my work ethic. But, you know, I think we're going to get there. And, and I think the reason we're going to get there is there are a number of studies that are coming out that continue to evolve saying that the productivity over four days, when compressed, when everybody is given that extra time, is actually no worse than five days. Whether I believe it or not, I guess uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but it's certainly there are some jobs that uh, that lend itself to it. There are others that won't. Um, but I do really think that we need to uh, we need to find what that balance is. And uh, I'm not running to four days a week so quickly yet. But hey, what do I tell you? I'm closer to retirement than I am to Gen Z at this point. So our Gen Z uh, producer is just typing in the window: four days, four days. Um... So you, you, we hear you. We hear you, Gen Z. Let's get right to our entrepreneurs. They are Philippe Chonier and Stacey Lecoyer, co-founders of Onika Beauty Supplies. Philippe and Stacey, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Hello. Hi. First question is the easiest. What is Onika? 
Stacey, you or me? Go for it, Philip. <laughs> well, I'll start. So uh, we started NECA 15 years ago. We make um, good-for-you personal care products, and uh, a lot of the plant extracts and essential oils are grown and extracted on our certified organic family farm here in Fragsburg. So we'll go the, the 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 beginning route of all of this and ask for a little bit of history. I'm going to two-prong this for you. So the first part of it is uh, often we see, uh, shall we call us, city folk that move to the country to start uh, a little bit later in life an organic farm or something along those lines. Uh, my understanding is you guys didn't do that. You both grew up on uh, on, on farms in, in the area. So maybe give us a little bit of history of your farming experiences before you started uh, Onika and uh, let's uh, let's see where that takes us for a change of pace. Perfect. That sounds great. So I'm originally from Thunder Bay, Ontario. I'm not from um, Fredericksburg, Quebec. From Thunder Bay, Ontario, um, grew up a country girl in the countryside. Um, my family grew up with five kids on a farm, and uh, my parents raised cattle, horses, and uh, we had chickens and dogs and geese and all that stuff. So. Um, very active in the countryside and farm life. And uh, so entrepreneurship, self-employment was introduced to me at a very young age, I would say. And then the pleasures of growing up on a farm, looking after animals and uh, stuff like that. So it's a little brief history of me. How, uh, how, many, how many head of cattle did you have? Um, so it's varied from year to year, but we've always stayed above 100. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to as big as 250, the cattle. Wow. Yeah, so for our, it, it, for it, was our a, it was a real farm. It was yeah. a real farm. <laughs> yeah. Philip, how about you? So yeah, I grew up uh, around here. Uh, my parents uh, started apple growing uh, in 1978. Both of them came from different backgrounds. My dad was a airplane pilot, and my mom was a physical therapist. So they had the passion, or they they started. They just threw themselves in that. But I grew up on a in Denham on the on the family orchard and. Uh, I worked a lot on the orchard. It's been a privilege. It was a, a powerful lesson and, and training, a way to way to learn how to how to work and live, etc. Uh, and I developed a real passion for for the for the farm farming. Not so much conventional apple growing, but I re I was recognizing my desire to do something with the farms, which materialized later. Essentially, the the farm that Stacey and I bought in 2013 is a is one of the the three farms that my parents were involved with, and um, it was perfect because it was wild. It was abandoned. It had been. Uh, it was a former apple orchard, and it was cut down in two thousand. And we stepped in thirteen years later, so it was it was rewilding. It was perfect for us to start the you know organic growing, and um, I was really inspired by uh, Damon Pinnacle, who took a, I would say a marginal apple orchard and turned it into. Uh, a cider, um, you know, which, which to me, I learned from them in that it, it created a new vision for what was possible for, in terms of farming from conventional commodity growing to value add branding. And I would say for me, Oneka is very influenced by what the men pinnacle did, which is to take, you know, commodity, which could be commodity and, and really add a lot of value to the plants, the apples, et cetera, and, and create a brand around it. So as some of our listeners know, as well as uh, I know Stacy knows this, I grew up on a, on a small farm with uh, breeding and racing and, and, and growing uh, thoroughbred resources. So I know Stacy, if I take that conversation, you and I are going to run with this program and nobody's going to get a word in. So I'm not <laughs> so going to go, I'm not going to go there, but I do want to ask you, I mean, I grew up on the farm in the seventies and the eighties and, and farming and, 
and the evolution of farming and whether that is just the farming itself or moving to organic, which, you know, clearly back at that stage wasn't even in anybody's thought mm -hmm. mind. How have you seen the changes and what does that look like in terms of the way uh, you used to farm with the family and versus the way you farm today um, under Oneka? There's uh, different ways for me to answer this question, but one of the ways is there's obviously the the awareness of of the impact that chemicals would have. I mean, I speak firsthand because I I did work with my parents for many many years. I sprayed chemicals myself, right? So I know exactly what that is. I know what it feels. I see what it does when it's windy and it blows up, like you know. So that to me, having the privilege of walking on my parents' shoulders, it's not like we started from nothing. Like we bought the farm, but we also carried with us like all the experience and the years of learning and, and, and family experience. So I felt my role was to take it to another level. The organic movement made sense. Now it was, how do we apply it to a large scale conventional uh, model? And um, I was really driven and, and excited about doing it in a more sustainable way. And it's, you know, nothing's perfect, but organic was a model. It was a, it was a, a standard, a vision, uh, something to look forward. And we, you know, we did certify our farm organic, but, but now we're, we're beyond that. Like we're, we're looking at, you know, regenerative uh, permaculture principles. And so, which, uh, which, you know, when you really look at it, it's really common sense. It's the way nature operates without too much human interaction. So yes, cer certainly the organic movement has inspired us. And, and and as of the last 10 years, a lot of the permaculture principles and, and regenerative farming practices has, you know, led our, our actions for sure. And Philippe, I, I jumped right in about 10 years ago, if not more, to the organic beauty product situation because I noticed it was better for my skin. I was getting fewer rashes and it just felt better. Um, but not everyone, as you say, sources uh, their products at mm -hmm. home. Um, how How much are you sourcing at home and is that number growing over the years? Stacey, do you want to answer that? Um, I would love to touch note on that. I just would like to just backtrack to the to Mike's question too and add to what Philip was sharing is, is that too with our farm, it was about um, growing plants that are happy in the setting. It wasn't going against nature. It was about, uh, yes, growing plants that were happy. So we were like we looked at indigenous plants, native plants, and then introducing plants that with our zone here in Fredersburg, who can we introduce that will be happy here? So we have lavender plant. Now we all know lavender is originally from France, but with our zone here and our earth, it grows really, really happy. And we don't have to put a lot of, you know, excess attention, I guess, because in a way we're kind of lazy farmers because we don't, we're not high maintenance. We like things, <laughs> we like things to grow with happiness and not have a, you know, without too much human intervention, so to speak, you know, so um, I just wanted to add that to Philip's uh, comments earlier. And do you envision a day when, when all of your ingredients will be sourced locally? Is that, is that even possible? So that's a very good question. So, you know, in our essential oil blends, because we do have blends, um, we have uh, lavender uh, essential oil in one of our product SKUs. And to have the volume um, of essential oils used for our products, um, we would have to grow only lavender, to be honest with you. So we will never, I don't think, fulfill the full volume of lavender, but we do have a distiller. So we do, we will still distill a lavender essential oil. And grapefruit is another essential oil blend that we don't 
I mean, that's just not going to grow here. So this could go on for a long, longer than 10 minutes, but um, to fulfill, I guess, the essential oil demands and that uh, we wouldn't be able to do, um, fulfill that supply chain. Now, the plant extracts, on the other hand, is a different story. Um, we have rosemary extract in our herbal blend, which is a combination of seven plants. So six of the plants grow on our farm and the rosemary we have to bring in because at this point, okay, I say at this point, we're not growing it, but maybe in the future, it's something that we can introduced through um, greenhouses. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, how far are you going to push the tech? Let's talk a bit, a bit about research and development now, because you have your own farm, you have your own lab. What's going on in the lab and, and what's the future of this business? Oh, the future of this business, uh, the lab. Um, well, the lab is quite new, actually. We um, This is its second year, but we've always been doing the plant extracts in a smaller lab here in the village. But we into we built the the lab at the farm, so it's really fun to have that so close uh, to the plants. And so, um, so yeah, so we grow the plants. We we do macerations, which extract the properties of the plants, and then the filtration of the plants of those macerations. We do a master blend with each plant, and that goes into the final product into another lab that actually has a subcontractor that has all the the large, the infrastructure to make the final recipe. What we're trying to do is uh, always harmonize the market needs. We don't make products to make products. We mm-hmm. always are very sensitive to what people are asking, what what's needed, what's missing, et cetera. And then we try to match our ability to grow plants and our ability to extract them to meet those needs. So to me, the lab at the farm is really about that. So we do manufacture some uh, more like specialized low volumes uh, products like the face oils, et cetera. And like Stacy said, like we subcontract out, but we subcontract the the large volumes like the shampoos, the body washes, the conditioners, which are done in big batches and are mostly water, uh, right? So the lab really plays, yeah, R&D, uh, innovating to meet the needs of of the, the market in a way that we use plants that we can grow or wild harvest in some cases uh, and extract them at the farm. So it's 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 an endless uh, process because we you know there's so 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 much that we want and uh, want to do, but uh, you know sometimes we just don't have the, the the. I mean, we're moving forward, but but time and and resources to materialize. Uh, uh, we don't have enough to do what we would like to do. Uh, so we move slowly, but surely. Very interesting. You, you use the term water. And, and, you know, we all take this for granted, right? We live in North America where we think, you know, the water is uh, you know, going to be there forever. And we just treat it that way, unfortunately. Um, but you look at what you're doing, and certainly from an organic perspective, including supply chain, including uh, water on the farm, and this is this is this is a huge issue going forward. How 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 do you manage to keep that, for lack of a better term, under control? Do you mean like water management, water protection? Yes, yes. Uh, Stacy, did you want to say anything about that? Um, at the farm, we are very uh, cautious, and we we set ourselves up um, so we are, you know, we're, we're working with the seasons, if I can say it like that. So we have you know our rain barrels close to the warehouse, which is. You know, um, because we're getting such variations, especially in the last couple of years, in the summer seasons, you know, uh, dry season or dry periods, and then these huge rainfalls. And so 
at the farm. Um, we've also looked at the landscape as well, where we, you know, we study the water flow in the direction of, you know, once the water lands or the rain lands on the land, how does it flow? And so, you know, we um, have water capturing ponds that catches the first water flow and then the overflow goes into another pond. So that's one example. Philip, do you want to add? Yeah, well, um, I want to just bring up your point about indigenous plants. Like none of the plants that we grow require irrigation. And so we, we're, we're trying to absolutely minimize the water that we extract from the ground. And this whole design, which is inspired by permaculture that Stacey described in terms of like having these ponds, these batteries of pond, we're trying to slow the water down and sink it to really put it down in the earth, right? And so that's one of the major issues right now is there's, there's so much drainage and like flooding because water does not penetrate back into the soil. So on our farm, we can absolutely uh, say with absolute pride and enthusiasm that the water does slow down and sink back into the earth. And, you know, one of the other major issues that we have been tackling or working at tackling is plastic pollution. I mean, we, you know, have packaged goods we use plastic, we, we measure it and monitor our plastic, and um, we offer bulk refill options so that people can reuse their bottles to instead of buying a new one every time. That's definitely a source of plastic reduction. And we've also, for the last uh, five years, have partnered up with Plastic Bank, which is a Vancouver-based company, to compensate the actual plastic consumption that we do. And um, last year, I mean, up to date, we've compensated. So what does that mean? We've paid or financed the collection of ocean-bound plastic in countries like uh, Haiti, ba Bali, Indonesia. And to date, we've collected or financed the collection of the equivalent of $7 million, uh, seven million bottles, uh, plastic bottles. So it's imperfect, but it's our way of taking responsibility because water is big. Plastic pollution is also a big uh, issue that we're tackling with Oneka. And to add too, for the plastic, right now within our, our SKU lines, we have uh, introduced 25% PCRs, post-consumer recycled plastic. And we have new products coming out soon that will be with 100% PCR. So they're not virgin plastics. They're taken from somewhat of a circular economy. So use plastics sent to industries where they can chop them up and then melt them back down and then build the bottle again. So it's not virgin plastics that are being uh, created. So we only have a few minutes left, but I guess we should maybe take this show in a business direction a little bit more before we before we call it a day. Um, the product conversion from the land to getting to a market. Uh, you referred earlier to uh, Domaine Pinac as being kind of that uh, influence uh, that, that you guys saw. Um, how do you address this? How do you deal with this? This is not a simple process, uh, especially when you're trying to stay organic. You also have to sell the product. You have to find a market. You have to find the distribution networks. You are selling some stuff wholesale. Um, and how do, you know, how do, that's that's a completely different game from farming. It, definitely, Demand Pinek is a huge inspiration to what Oneka is. And uh, from my perspective, growing up on, on a large conventional apple farm that was producing commodity and was very vulnerable to the packers, the buyers, the, the you know, the weather, the, there was no value created beyond the the actual apple, right? So uh, Demand Pinnacle to me created a model that first adds value to uh, to the resource and creates another layer of value, creates a brand, something that's worth. So I, I always thought like, you know, my parents, if they want to retire, they have to sell their land, right? So Demon Pinnacle created a brand. So 
they could sell their brand without ever touching the land. And I thought that was really powerful, which which uh, just as a way to, to, you know, for the farmer to to just work different skills, marketing, sales, uh, transformation. It's different. It's different. It, it removes a lot of pressure from actually producing, like maximizing production because you're adding so much more value to each resource that you need to, you don't need to produce as much. Um, I believe that's also feeding the organic uh, way, right? So, you know, monoculture, uh, mass production, you need to optimize every square inch, whereas we don't because uh, we add a lot of value. And so, but I, I, I really revere them and Pinnacle for the inspiration they've created for us. It's a model that I didn't really think about until I was like, hey, that's brilliant. Adding value to the resource, creating a brand which adds another layer of value to the whole operation. And uh, yeah, it, it's requiring different skills for sure. Like it's it's going beyond producing, but it's a, I think it's a way of, first of all, taking care of ourselves in a better way too and having resources to take care of, of the farm in a way that we wouldn't if we, we had to maximize every square inch. Philippe Chouignard and Stacey Lequier from Onika Beauty Products. Thank you so much for joining us. And Mike, you know, we've been doing the show for a while when we have newer entrepreneurs who are referring back to other entrepreneurs that we profiled on the show. And indeed, Domain Pinnacle uh, was a 23, 2013 alum uh, of this program. So look up that episode as well. Let's keep Stacey and Philippe a little bit longer uh, for the podcast. Guys, talking, looking ahead again, because we like to see our businesses uh, expand here on the show. What do you guys have in mind? I, I see there's some commercial uh, potential as well in getting uh, getting together with the hospitality sector. Yeah, we've got, um, we, we started supplying, uh, in fact, Hotel Cristal in Montreal. This is probably 2014 and it, it was accidental and, and it led us into realizing that there's quite a need for plastic reduction. So we're going away from the single use uh, bottles. So uh, we've developed dispensing systems for the hotels and, uh, and uh, also uh, hotels looking for, I would say, more local products, maybe better quality. Um, and uh, we've been thrilled to slowly organically, you know, grow our business in that market. But there's definitely a, a huge uh, opportunity for us and other quality brands. Yeah. It's very interesting because uh, I met Stacy and Philip about five years ago, six years ago. And that topic of refills at hotels stuck in my brain. And I and I do quite a bit of traveling for, for business and uh, yes, Stacey, for the horses too. And it every time I get into the shower and I see a refillable bottle instead of those little miniature bottles, I automatically come back to the thought of having met you guys. And it that impression of what it is. And, you know, I'm a bit of an older generation, so that thought process is not the same and and, and the, the awareness is not the same as it is certainly with my children and, you know, are 26 and 29 and they're of the environment and everything else. That point, you know, stood out to me in terms of, of what you were doing. That's fantastic. I feel like that's great because we're attained, you know, we talked about it and now it's actually materialization. So that's super, super. Now that we're talking, I do remember as well, uh, having been in a, a, a hotel in the last year or so downtown, and that's where I remember your brand from, seeing those dispensers. And I also got that feeling, oh, this is way better than the oh, disposable yeah. little bottles. What what else, guys? T tell me what, what else is on your, your R&D radar. So we're a little late in the in the market, of, and that's our that's how we roll in a way, is that we have our shampoo bars out now, our shampoo bars, mm -hmm. our conditioner bars. Um, we're really excited about these because it, the time that we took was for R&D to really make sure that they reach the Onaka standards. And so the plants are in there. And we have apple cider vinegar uh, also in the recipe, in the shampoo bars, in the conditioner bars. And those uh, that apple cider vinegar is actually from the Schwannier family farm. So 
you know, it's, it's again, connection to the land, connection to the family, connection to local rich and property ingredients. And so um, R&D, that's one thing. Um, we also want to bring more exclusive products from the farm. So focus on just certain plants with really high um, low volume, you know, not mass distribution, but exclusive, like exclusive lines throughout the season. I mentioned earlier in the show, um, I when I was sort of experimenting with with shampoos and all that, um, I, my my rashes went away maybe 10, 15 years ago when I went all natural. Do you get a lot of clients that are like, wow, this is this is different from the the over the counter stuff that we're used to at the at the uh, pharmacy? Wow. Well, I connect uh, wildly with you on that, Dan, because my family history is eczema and psoriasis. And so um, that was part of, you know, 15 years ago when we were, um, life brought us into this path, this this journey, and realizing that, you know, the, the petrochemicals and the harsh, you know, the, the ingredients, um, ocean, because it's such a, such a huge, wild, uh, and it's a rabbit hole, but to do get into that research, and it's been such a pleasure for me over the years, and, and yes, and so understanding ingredients natural you know the synthetics and the petrochemicals where they where they the effects that they have on the skin so yeah it's uh i, I connect with you on that dan yeah our guests philippe choignard and stacy lecuyer co-founders of onika will have their one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a few minutes but first let's check in with our bdo specialist bernie furt is a tax partner at bdo canada here to discuss communication with your accounting professional welcome back ernie thank you always a pleasure to be here I think you've got great communication skills personally. Um, in the old days, we used to just kind of stuff things into an envelope and just kind of chuck it at you uh, at once a year. You know what? That kind of worked. And, yeah. and you know what? I did an experiment last year with a client to see if that still works. And it does because you, you effectively <laughs> take the tax return from last year and the guy brings his, uh, his envelope or his box and you go one by one, put everything in order and say, okay, here's the list of what I need. Go home and get it. Okay. But today's day and age, everything is by email. So people haven't evolved properly to email communication in, in, the, in the correct way because you have problems both from the accountant communicating to the client and the client responding to the communication. So that's what I want to talk about because it's essential. You know, communication, everybody says, well, communication, that's easy. You know, it, it's, it, it's second nature. Uh, it, it's common sense, but you know what? Common sense is not common. So, Mike, you want to go ahead and ask me a question or two here? Oh, Ernie, I could ask you questions all day. I know you uh, could. So, you know, I, I look at this, and 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 this to me is is, is I mean, you're going to focus on tax season, but I'm going to say that this is a pervasive problem oh, in in, com, in communication and this this inability. Uh, people think that there's tone when they email. Well, sometimes the tone that they're giving is not the right tone, or don't even know if they're giving a tone. Uh, you know, I'm still old fashioned and like body language because to me that allows me to at least address what you're not saying. But when you're doing it in writing, when you're doing it in email, you know, start with the professional side. How do you how do you draft an email out to a client? What are you sending? What are you looking for? And, and what kind of tone are you sending? Well, you know, dear client, uh, you know, in, in reviewing the documents that you provided, uh, we require these additional documents. And if you make one run-on sentence with a whole list of documents within that run-on sentence, you are going to get a response to maybe one, maybe two of those items. So what I suggest to all my people when they do this is to make a list, A, B, C, D, one, two, three, I don't care, as long as it's sequential. And then the client sees, oh, 
there's like eight things I need to do or eight things I need to get. So it's time to go running and hunting. So that's very important. Are you providing like an, either an Excel spreadsheet or some kind of information for people to fill in as well in, in, in that communication? It depends on the nature of it, because if it's a U.S. return and they have to fill out uh, account balances for all their Canadian and other foreign non-U.S. accounts, we give them a list with their with the previous account numbers, with everything in there, so they can actually fill it in. And when you do that, they look at this massive list and, and they go, oh, my God, where do I put my information that I need to? So the accountant on our side it would be great to take a yellow highlighter, put that highlight on uh, on the cell that you want them to complete. So therefore, they're directed immediately by I to that cell, and they'll fill in what they have to fill in. So note to self, don't use the highlighter on the screen. Um, the other exercise, I think, is what do you get in return? And, you know, Ernie, we've shared office space for a long time, and it would not be the first time I've heard you yell from sitting at your desk out of frustration and information you've got back. What are you looking back for in, uh, in, uh, in return to your, to your more professional approach to dealing with the questions? An answer, um, because you what, you're asking for a complete answer. Oh, okay. well, this is this is what happens. Sometimes you don't get a complete answer, but you get an instead of them uh, using the email chain, they just independently. The answer for question three is seventeen thousand four hundred, and you go, okay, what what was question three again? And so you have to go back to your previous email that's that's not part of this chain. And and answer that, and then and then they'll they'll send you multiple emails responding to the various questions that you've asked, all independent, as opposed to what I like to see, is you take the email that was sent to you by by by, by the professional, and you go one by one and answer the email within the body of the email. So yeah, we don't have that this year. Boom, and use a different color. Use red. You know, and, and you'll go back and forth. Some of my emails are really pretty at the end of uh, of discussions three, four times back. I've read and purple and all various colors and green. And but I get all the information. And if it and if you follow the chain, you'll get there. But otherwise, you know, use the strike through. Learn how to use that strike through. So you know, okay, that one was responded to. Because you don't want to have multiple touches on the file. You want to have as little touches as possible on the file. So the costs will be driven lower. So there's, if you are looking for incentive, anybody listening to this show to make sure your information is complete the first time through, there it is. It's a, there, there is actually a cost benefit to it. And I will say, Ernie, as we, as we wrap up, you know, I've always, I've always said you tax practitioners are stickler for detail. Man, this has really taken it to a whole new level. Thanks a it's lot. Not a, it's not a question of detail. It's a question of, uh, of what should be there in order to help the client uh, get what you need. Some of us entrepreneurs, we just assume you guys are kind of computers or cyborgs. We just throw information at you, you take it in, you process it, but we have to realize you are people too. You know what happens when you assume. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ernie, for tax partner at BDO Canada. And as we come to the end of our show, let's turn to our entrepreneurs, Stacey and Philippe of Onika, and ask them for their one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, what do you think? Let's begin with Stacey. Okay. Uh, passion is the first really believe in what you're doing because the challenges that do come up because there will be challenges that come up along the along the journey passion brings you back um and as the company grows as your ideas grow remember to keep your culture solid because growing is is perfectly fine and keeping the integrity and the essence of why the company started is is so important so that's that's my little piece of advice um 
it's not, you know, business or it's mine's more. And I'm I'm not the real business person in the relationship, honestly. I'm more of the, the creative side and oh, everything's gonna be working out fine and beautiful. So sorry, I'm the I'm the hippie child, I guess, in it all. But uh, um Philip really balances me out in in it. Um we work well together. And so to have and and surround yourselves with people you trust and people you um strong mentors and who really believe in your um project and your 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 business idea. Philip, what do you think? Uh, for me, I'll keep it extremely simple. I'll I'll uh, ride on Stacy's first uh, thought. Uh, to me, the the most important thing is that somebody does something they're passionate about. So, yes, it has to make business sense. It has to make money. It's a business, right? So, the more passionate you are about something, the more energy you're going to have to go through all the challenges. And ultimately, there's a notion that we don't, I feel, talk enough about is like how happy are you doing it right and so if you're really passionate about something i think you 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 have the fuel to 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 face the challenges and you have the the well-being along the way whereas if it's just solely focused on money well then maybe there's void of like this more subtle stuff like happiness and and well-being and i i'm that's why i'm so grateful for what we do because we are passionate we didn't know anything but we were passionate and it it carried us through and provided well-being along the way Stacey Lequier and Philippe Schwinov, co-founders of Onika. My quick takeaway, lovely story. Well, you know, there, I, I always like being right. And, uh, and then I, you know, it, it always feeds the ego a little bit. But when I listen to, you know, our ongoing guests and, and tell us what their pieces of advice are, and for years you've heard me say passion, execution, and mindfulness – uh, and you know, every time, and and obviously our two guests today, Philip and Stacy, uh, echo that it just continues to show that in order to be successful, in order to be, as Philip refers to, happy in what you're doing, you can't do it without some sense of very not some sense, a huge sense of passion for what you're doing. And I've always said that the reason behind that is. The passion starts you, but the passion is also what keeps you going through those tough periods because you're all going to hit tough periods in an entrepreneurial environment. Stacey and Philip, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, such a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Next week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs by BDO Canada, we'll welcome Pierre-Etienne Bousquet, president and co-founder of Third Bridge, a web and digital solutions development company behind many apps that Montrealers are using in their everyday lives. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs MTL as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or your favorite platform. And just search Domain Pinnacle, by the way, if you want to find the inspiration behind the inspiration from today. And you can also log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Thanks, Mike. See you next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.